So I am in the kitchen of a Masonic Lodge with John Anderson and Brian Stickley. We're here at the Texan Traditions uh, Colloquium, and we're going to talk about John's book, The Way of the Living Ghosts, uh, fresh off the press from Revelor. Um, so, John, <laughs> where do we start here? Um, what's your book about, man? What's your elevator pitch that we've been joking about? Oh, gosh. The one that we've been joking about, or the one that I think is the funniest, is this sort of, uh, I call it the Satanic Bible version of the Tao Te Ching, which is, you know, the Tao Te Ching is meant to tell you how to live in harmony and balance and the, the proper movement of yin and yang. Uh, the ghost would not do that. The ghost would do things in reverse. And so the way of the living ghost is this process sort of taken in reverse. And so that's sort of something what it's about. Uh, it's given a similar framework and setup where it's got a you know, short um, sort of poetic bit and then a bit of interpretation after that. Um, and here and there, there's some badly written Chinese to, to uh, get people to think, and that's fine. Um, what inspired you to create this book? Um, my background is in uh, Chinese medicine, and uh, man, you see them all around. You go to a clinic, you will see them uh, quite easily. Uh, a living ghost is somebody who's been hollowed out by their experience in a lot of ways. They don't live life in the same, with the same vibrant sort of approach as, as a as a human ought to, at least according to to most Eastern traditions, you should live in a vibrant, sort of juicy manner, right? And the ghost does not do that again. Um, and you'll see the funny. That's something that we don't really choose it often. You know, most of us don't choose to be a living ghost in any sense. It's just that some shit goes down, and then that leaves you empty. Something comes in. Usually that's a sort of hunger and need for some deeper thing. Um, that, that need is not met, so we try to fill it with something. That something takes on its own. So there's a sort of a hunger component that is separate from the ghost in a lot of ways. There's a certain sort of association um, between um, the person as a as a thinking being and the person as a body um, in a lot of ways. So yeah, uh, it's because I would see that in clinic quite often. That's why I wrote that. And the idea had been kicking around in my head, scratching at my insides for quite a while. And my ghosty material said, if you don't write this, some bad things are going to happen. I didn't know what those were, but I chose to listen. So so in a sense, we're all a little hungry ghosts. We all we all have ghostly material yeah. in there to work with, sure. So where do you draw a line between a more traditional hungry ghost and a living ghost? Well, uh, hunger ghost by definition is generally dead, for one. Uh, a living ghost, fair enough. By definition, <laughs> often, often living. Um, no, um, one of the big things here is that a living ghost has capacity for change. As, as a being that is alive, uh, there is capacity to um, sort of rejoin the, the human path, the human, um, I don't want to say fold, but this sort of approach to the world uh, that is more vibrant, that is more fully engaged, uh, wherein one recognizes oneself as uh, something of um, 
value, I think, is a little loaded, but there's something deeper there. That, okay, now I'm, I'm, I'm a bit more human and full in a good way. Um, so uh, a living ghost generally has a sense that, you know, I can change it under certain circumstances. Hungry ghosts, that's a bit tougher process. I mean, there are Buddhist, you know, rituals that actually are meant to transmute ghosts in a lot of ways, Taoist rituals to do that. But this is uh, something that isn't quite as esoteric as it sounds in a lot of ways. And Brent, you wrote the forward to this book, so if you want to mention uh, your connection with John a little bit and uh, what he had inspired you to write that forward. Well, uh, so I met John, he was in class 28 at the Florida College of Integrative Medicine, represent. Uh, where I was teaching. And uh, that class 28 was a unique group of individuals. We were fuckers. <laughs> and uh, over the years, again, and then after a few years after moving out to Oregon, he, he was out in Oregon doing his doctoral program. And uh, we were paneling around, doing some ceremony here and there. And uh, just watching the whole thing unfold and watching his doctoral program, his doctoral dissertation, his, doc, his capstone pros, project come into shape around similar issues, but more grounded in kind of more deeply grounded in a Chinese herbal medicine. And then to see this kind of, this unfold out of it is something that would be uh, more more of an artistic exploration of it in one hand and a philosophical description of the same process in another. It was just so exciting to me. And when he asked me, I was so happy to do that. So you mentioned in, uh, in the forward a little bit about you know, listeners of this podcast are interested in integral philosophy, integral theory. Uh, the word aperspectival came in there. So I'm wondering if you want to riff on how you feel this being an imperspectable text. So, in a way, um, I think of it as when I, so as John was describing it, we could say, as John was describing it, we could say that the living ghost is related to an imbalance between what we would call the Jueyan and the Yangming. So the Jueyan is like the the Jueyan is like the emerging aspects of blood and the nervous system. And the Yangming is an aspect of the digestive system. It's the source of hunger, but it's also what's responsible for transforming matter into energy and energy back into matter. And so in terms of our current mental, rational consciousness, right, the dominant mental, rational consciousness, we're in a kind of catabasis in which we, we have to descend through the breakdown of that system to break through to the aperspectival. And so we are firmly in that, the living ghost, as I understand it, is firmly in the grips of that mental, rational breakdown. And through the transmutation of that into a, a living person, we find the life that I think is going to emerge as a 
manifestation of that universe by type of consciousness. <laughs> that was eloquent. <laughs> that was going to say. Uh, I have nothing to add. <laughs> well, well, do you think, like, uh, ideologically that's sound? Yeah, I, I should say that's about right. Where one of the 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 visual motifs of of ghosts in this particular text is the idea of like a a, a cataract over the eyes, where the the ghost sees something of an illusion. It may not be a complete illusion. It may not be be total, but the world that it sees is not the world as it as it is, and so by its nature it comes from its own perspective and you will pry that perspective from its cold, dead nearly dead hands um, before it will change which is, you know, inertia is a hard thing to get over when you're in that sort of place uh, someone who is firmly entrenched into the way of the living ghost is, is barely realizing that they are a thing that is separate in the world that can change, that can move. It's just going along for the road, for the ride, and it's not even quite sure what that ride is anymore. So uh, I can see that sense of, of the A perspective on this in this case as well, where you're uh, trying your very best to to break the break through the dirty windows, so to speak, uh, to get through that cataract to take that the, you know the film off of the eyes so I can see it in that way as well uh, Brandt has given a much more eloquent sense of the, the Chinese medicine take on it um, I'm steered clear from that because I'm not even sure what he talks about half the time either uh, or, or I have to think about it quite a bit and then go oh yeah okay now it is well that that description leads me to think of the statement, for now I see through a glass, the verse, for now I see through a glass darkly, but then I shall see face to face. Yeah. And that's like, seeing face to face, I think, is that integral consciousness. And the cataract is like part of what's, you know, our, the mental rational is like so, we're so enmeshed in it, we're so enmeshed in spatial understandings of, of reality that we can't escape from it. Gipser often describes, uh, for those who are not familiar with Chinese medicine, but are familiar with Gipser, at least in some of the characteristics of this integral consciousness, he's often utilizing words like clarity, right, and the openness of the sky, and he's always talking about the necessity of cultivating clarity of perception, right, in our, in our phenomenology. So, um, you know, the idea of the cataract is such an interesting image of this, this, this sense of the film over us. And what's interesting as well is that the mental rational of all of these different structures um, is in, in a way the most haunted because it's the most in, in denial of pathos. It's the most in denial of the things that are invisible. And so it's the most susceptible to them. Um, so. That's crazy too. <laughs> yeah, so, okay. I mean, we just, we just launched the book and as, as somebody uh, on the on the show floor was mentioning, it's oh, Jen mentioned this. She said uh, Jen's art. She was like, "Oh, this is a good bedtime reading." Would you recommend this as, as a <laughs> as a bed stand, a nightstand, 
kind of reading experience or Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, only to Woody Allen though. <laughs> <laughs> he loved it. He loved it. <laughs> Well, it's the kind of book, you know, um, for listeners who haven't seen it, it's the kind of book you can just crack open anywhere and, and take something from that day as a sort of a meditation. Brant's picked it up. You want to give it a read? Yeah. Yeah, well, I just cracked it open to uh, chapter 21, verse 20, verse 21. Is it a verse or a chapter? or a, I don't care. Uh, anchoring oneself. You have asserted your will. You've left no thing alone in your drive to influence. Let others scurry about, but only as far as you could control all eventualities. Anxiety's been the calling card you've given to others, but in truth, the anxiety is yours to have. The full heart cannot take in anew the world as it is. From this, hardness. From hardness, heaviness. From heaviness, perpetuity. So, you want to read that at bedtime, or what? <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> I don't want to read it in the morning. <laughs> well, this interesting, and forgive the, this is a, a, a basically a, a kitchen recording, it's the kitchen talks, but um, there's almost a medicine in this, though, you know, you, taking the poison, you're taking the ailment, you're really seeing it for the first time and identifying it, you're seeing yourself in that in some capacity. And I think just being able to identify and see it gives us the opportunity to go, oh, I am doing this thing. This is how I am a hungry ghost. And I can choose to act on that now and respond to it in a different way. That's what I've been saying. I've been developing the elevator pitch via Facebook post. Yeah. And uh, my favorite one was, it's the doubting is told by a hungry ghost that you discover is you. Oh, yeah. Ooh. In fact, the very last passage, the 82nd passage is, is very much in that thing. Um, and there is a way to read it that's fairly, that's quite different because in methodology when I wrote it, I started, I'm, I'm being motioned that I should read this. This is the 82nd passage. The way of the ghost is such that one may not know. It is a way that cannot be reasoned with, into, only realized. In itself, it has no proper name, but a thousand vulgar epithets. So many of us stand, slack-jawed with cataract eyes, until there is a moment of stolen, bitter, raspy breath. We know at that moment that we too now travel on the way of the living ghost. Shingen Guidao. And that is at the end of the end of the book. Because it is actually just the beginning. Mm -hmm. The ghost does things in reverse. And so, if you were to take that, flip it around, it would be closer to the original set up of the Dali Ching original. Yeah, that's what you were mentioning to some folks who are stopping by our table. Yeah. The Dao in reverse. Yeah. And that's that was my methodology, actually. It started mm -hmm. from the back of the Dali Ching and worked my way forward. Um, with the, the qualification that 
the Dow de Jing is not really linear either, so you really could have started anywhere in there, really. Mm -hmm. um, it honestly is enumerated in a certain way just because that's the way they found it within a tomb somewhere. And that's what that's the folios that were there first. So really there isn't much in the way of that process, but it has to be a certain way. So, I find it interesting as well that the thought strikes me that we're recording this in a kitchen. <laughs> yeah. So, we're being hungry ghosts here. <laughs> so, hmm. well, any free-floating commentary or reflections? Well, can you say more about your, pro your process with it? Um, yeah, well, I, I mean, generally speaking, I couldn't sit down and, like, write a whole lot of it in a given time. I had to work on a passage or two at a time. Um, I had to be at least slightly inebriated to, to get into that space because mm -hmm. it's not a very friendly space. Um, not impaired, but at least a little bit relaxed, I suppose. Uh, and, of course, the, the narrator that, that, you know, I see when I read the thing is different than, you know, Jeremy's different than Brent's different than anyone else's because... Well, this is the nature of any book. Any any book, the narrator therein, if you know if there is one. I haven't quite figured out James Joyce yet, but uh, if there is one, it's different for each of us, right? And so the voice that comes through is going to be different, and the way that it's read is going to be different. The emphasis is going to be different. Um, and so for me to get to my narrator, I had to you know I had to be a little bit loose. Um, but that material was not it's not friendly material. It's not I don't think it's pleasant material, but if I didn't write it, my ghosts were going to come. You know, I I was I was um, accountable to myself or certain parts of myself at that point. So um, I I had to do it and uh, there were certain parts of it that very much were written in uh, uh, the bowels of the, you know, Washington Metro system underneath in the subway. Uh, That's right, you're mentioning a few of those stories. Genuinely, that, that, that is the case, where uh, if I can find it, there's one voice recording of me yelling into my phone with trains, like, screaming by, yelling this passage into a phone, and uh, I'm certain that, I, I'm not even sure I ever listened to it afterward, but I'm certain that that would encapsulate in about a minute and a half, you know, a lot of the material that's, that a lot of the feeling that's in this, in this book. Um, there's a lot of pressure in this book. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, angst. And I, I hopefully not sort of teenage, but really human, you know, existential, sturm and drum sort of thing. You know, there's a lot of that, hopefully, that comes through. Because a lot of us, I think, have that, and maybe we don't have a means to express that. We don't realize that's what it is until someone goes and tells us or shows us this set of ideas. Oh man, I, I have that. I am feeling that way. I didn't know there was a need, you know, a, a way to communicate that. Mm -hmm. But the ability to to recognize that is the first step to like to to kind of gaining not necessarily control, but um, nurturing it in a proper way so that it kind of smooths out and goes away. Um, 
And to be clear, I mean, the ghost is very aware of its world, but in order to become human again, you really have to, you have to start by realizing, oh shit, I'm at rock bottom, and I, I have this illusion sense of things, and I, I, I am full in the wrong sort of way. Uh, I do have trouble relating to this, that, or the next thing. Uh, so your awareness has to change uh, fundamentally, but you have to be aware that your awareness needs to be changed yeah. fundamentally somewhere. Yeah, I was going to say that um, saying that it's not a pleasant book is it's not a great way to, to sell the text, but as you're explaining um, the actual process that you undergo, I mean, this is sort of like a metaphysical detoxification process, you know? Yeah. Um, a lot of traditions have that, you know, sense of the negretto, right? You have to yeah. decompose first. Yeah. You have to, you know, you have to die first. And then you can arise again, reborn. And so, uh, in a similar vein, uh, there will be a couple of texts to follow that sort of show that process of, of re-emergence and new awareness and um, uh, new skin being grown over. Mm -hmm. and, you, know. you mentioned uh, those two other texts, the, the hypothetical sequels to this. So do you want to yeah. go into that a little bit? Uh, well, in Chinese uh, body cosmology, Taoist body cosmology, we are, we are ruled by two spirits that are considered relatively separate from us as beings. We're born with them, but they're not just us. Uh, and so they have their own agency, they are, have their own ability to work in the world. Uh, one is the Hun and one is the Po. The present text pertains very much to a very sick Po a very sick, animating spirit. You can be alive, the Pope will keep you alive, but still be very sick. Uh, that is the spirit that is very instinctual, that is the spirit that is often easily wounded. Uh, that is the spirit that can, under healthy circumstances, move things down and through, right? But if it is not well, it will hold on to everything, and then you're stuck in the middle. Uh, the Hun is the, the ethereal sort of soul where you, your creativity is there, your, your yearning for heaven and larger things than, than human experience is there. Your uh, sense of the future in the, in the abstract sense is there. Um, I see, the, I see the, the, the Hun as looking into the past, all these things that you've had in your past. I see the, I'm sorry, I see the Po as looking into the past. I see the Hun as looking into to the future, and I see the Shen as really being this idea of the now. Those are the three sort of spirits that rule. So the Hun and the Po form a sort of balance, and the Shen is in the middle, the fulcrum, and that is our everyday awareness, that which allows us to interface with the world directly, not necessarily the imaginal world and not necessarily the world of the past, but that which is directly in front of us. And so the next two books will be... Uh, dealing with the Hun and dealing with the Shin. So you'll have, um, again, something similar where uh, you'll have a short sort of poetic or bit and then you'll have some interpretation. Uh, and there will be techniques, hopefully, to foster an understanding of that interpretation. So in terms of the Shen, for example, one of the things you need in order for your Shen to work well that you need to be properly nourished. Same thing with the Pope. 
you need proper nourishment. So in one case, I tell people, find what your mother grain is. Find the grain that 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 fits with either you genetically, you know, and is part of your people, part of your ancestors, or find that thing that makes you feel really good after you eat it and energized. Not just I've had a candy bar, so I, you know, my sugar need is sated, but I've eaten this and, and okay, now I'm ready to go do things. That is your mother you know, grain. It doesn't necessarily have to be a grain, but so for some folks, it could be rice, it could be, uh, it could be amaranth, it could be potatoes, it could be whatever. Um, and broadly, I thought about it in a, in a genetic sense, you know, an ancestral sense. And I think that still very much fits, but in our modern society, some of us can't take the things that, that would fit us ancestrally. But I think that's telling in itself in a lot of ways. But nourishment is also, you know, what do you listen to? How do you, the people that you surround yourself with, uh, the environments that you hang out in, right? Um, so uh, I think this, these kinds of things are not meant to be abstract. They're, they're meant to be quite practical in a lot of ways. Um, so some of those exercises are going to be very practical like that. Some of them will be a bit more abstract visualizations and that sort of thing. But each of these will have, you know, uh, exercise component that which must be performed. You can read it in a book, but you have to go do the things in order for the body to change, the psyche to change, the spirits to change. Well, I think we are good for time. So I want to thank you, John. Thank you, Brian. And uh, thank you, Jeremy. Thanks for having us, for sure. Of course. Yeah, check out reveler.press for The Way of the Living Ghosts. And yeah, you can grab a copy. It's a, it's a beautiful book. Um, so great artwork here that you're, you guys will definitely appreciate. Um, and we'll be in touch. Thanks a lot. And thanks, guys. Thanks for joining me for the Kitchen Talks. Cheers. <laughs>